Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. 603-283-6160 is the phone number for you to call. That's 603-283-6160. But we do have some uh, caller on the line. With you in the studio tonight for this episode of Free Talk Live, it's me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. And Mark Edge. And I'm going to go straight into the phones because we have a caller who I scheduled to call in because he has a very interesting presentation his name is bear arms bear are you with us i'm with you can you hear me yeah what was it you wanted to tell people about today i i did go to your presentation it's very interesting when you did it like live and keen what what was it about well um i've been promoting this idea of uh lawful tax avoidance and uh recently i put together a a uh, small book. It's about 26 pages plus three pages of reference um, on the tax on federal income, which is what we're supposed to pay later on this year, or many of us, um, in April. So I thought I'd get that document out there for your audience to um, look at, read, and uh, ponder while they decide what to do um, with their financial futures and so forth. Well, I am working on getting logged into the Free Talk Live Twitter, and it's just at freetalklive.com, and then I'm going to post it in there so people Sounds can good. check it out. But what is it? what does the tax on federal income mean to you, Bear? Well, uh, we've been taught since birth that there's two things that we can't avoid. One is, one is death and the other is taxes. Well, it turns out... Um, the second part of that statement is not exactly true. In fact, um, the whole tax scheme has been um, pulled over us as a deception from probably from, from about around the time of World War One and World War Two. Um, but the the tax on federal income, or commonly known as the federal income tax, was established as an excise tax all the way back in 1863, I believe. Uh, to um, to support the Civil War. And it was, for a time, uh, revoked, and then it, w- it came back later known as the uh, 16th Amendment. So um, in my book, uh, we talk about uh, what the federal income tax is, and it is, in fact, the tax on federal income and is not the federal tax on income, and that is the most important distinction and then secondly... Well, uh, what is the distinction between federal income and income? Federal income is a species of income derived from a federal privilege. For example, federal wages are federal income. For example, corporate income is federal income because corporations derive the benefits of trademark protection, uh, perpetual um existence and also limited liability protection. So they owe the federal government an excise or a cut of their action. Um, And income in general is defined as a gain made from capital and or labor together. 
So income is something that you are entitled to. However, um, the way that the word income is used in the tax code, it specifically means federal income. Um, and that's what my book also uh, uh, talks about. Well, I'm going to let you pr- plug the book. No problem there. I just have, uh, sure. well, I guess my biggest concern is, is that I have some friends. Have you heard of a man named Larkin Rose? I have. I, I've have you heard of a man work. named Erwin Schiff? Yes. And I, and I have studied both of those uh, people and unfortunately they didn't get it right. They really didn't. And uh, as much as they, well, let me, they let me, the, let me tell the audience who they are. Um, there are a couple of men who have gone to prison with, uh, you know, a line of, uh, you don't have to pay in, you don't have to pay tax because, you know, the federal government doesn't have it exactly right. They're pulling the wool over your eyes, you know, that kind of thing, a, a shtick sure. that sounds very similar to what you're saying. And I'm not saying that there's that I don't know, I'm not a tax expert, but, um, you know, I think that it's um, it's worth pointing out that people in the past have tried something similar and it hasn't worked. Hey, uh, Bear, could you yeah. uh, maybe uh, brief a little bit on uh, e- either Larkin or Erwin Shift? I'd like to hear where Larkin went wrong. I kind of understand where Erwin Shift went wrong. I've uh, studied his thing, too. I wasn't even aware that Larkin Rose uh, had an uh, IRS issue. Well, they all go wrong because they forget to actually read the code and understand the code based on the words of control, the controlling words of the code. And this is something that took me a while to figure out. But uh, in the book, I say that there's about 3.8 million words in the IRS code and another probably four or five million in in the uh, IRS regulations, which are the regulations derived from the statutes. And so in all, we're talking about about 8 million words and there's no way that one person could reasonably read and absorb all of it. However, all 8 million words and every single definition of those 8 million words are derived from four words. And and this is something that I think I figured out on my, uh, on myself, by myself. And, and it's unique to a part of, to, to the part, um, that I'm presenting to the crowd. And those four words are P-I-S-S, all right? Property, <laughs> income, service, and source. Those are the four words upon which all IRS definitions are based. For example, um, in uh, Section 3401, we have a word it's called wages. And wages are defined as remuneration for service, okay? Um, So the word service, the word service means government service. And and you will know this once you read the book, um, that the word service means that because, first of all, you know what you say to veterans to to thank them? You don't thank them for their protection. You don't thank them for their hard work. You thank them for their service. And so the word service means government service. And I lay that out um, clearly and in the form of a proof in this book. Uh, And the other word is source. And that word is not not defined anywhere. Um, And that word, it took me a long time to find. But the word source means government sources of revenue. And where you you could find that in the constitutions of the original 13 states, 
And you can also find that in the U.S. Treasury um, revenue breakdown that they have on the Internet uh, on, online, where they describe sources of government revenue and sources of, uh, of government income. Um, so that's, that's something that is unique uh, to, to, my, um, to my academic studies. Uh, so how long other, have you been doing this and how's like, yeah. t- tell me about the successes. Sure. Absolutely. So first of all, I'm not the first one to do this and I don't want to take credit from the crowd that has been doing this. And yeah. if you go to a website called the uh, lost horizons, uh, backslash bulletin board, you will see, which by the way is referenced in the book that I, that I have on page two at the bottom, you will see that over the last 20 years, uh, since about year 2000, or maybe even earlier, thousands and thousands of people have been doing this, and thousands and thousands of people have been getting their money back. Now, you asked about me getting first. their money back. Yeah, yeah. from the federal government. Yeah, from the uh, federal government. And, and do we ha- we have pictures of checks and things? That's exactly how it's posted. Yeah, they have scanned okay. pictures of thousands of people with their checks, not only from the federal government but also from the uh, state governments. And give me uh, give me that website one more time. Yeah, well, it's uh let me let me read it out so I'm not um losthorizon.com. Wait, losthorizons with an s.com bulletinboard.hm or htm and uh, again, it's, now, it's in hold the, on. I, I want to go. Um, go ahead. You go, I'm sorry if I didn't. Uh, I didn't mean to talk over you while you're giving the thing um, because I have more yeah. questions. Please go ahead, Barry. Sure, uh, of course. You know, by the way, your questions are good. I'm I'm prepared to answer all of them so that there would be full uh, disclosure. Um, um, but let me answer the rest of your question, which is what was been my experience. Well, my experience is that I started doing this in 2016, which has been a full seven years, and. The first year, I got my money back. In addition, they added interest to the check that uh, that they sent me. Um, moreover, um, the your viewers might might want to know that the IRS prosecution has a six year maximum um, uh, statutory statute of limitations. So, um, I'm pretty sure that at least for the first couple years that I've done it, it's it's beyond uh, repair in that res- in that regard. Not that they can't come after me in theory for other ones later on, but I can also sh- um, show you what we've done in terms of um, replying to the IRS and how they have responded. And those things can be uh, seen in the videos, which are referenced at the end of the uh, book where it says uh, credits and references. You can just click on the, um, the videos. My fundamental question, um, what it all comes down to, uh, is don't you think the people in the government, if they were writing the laws, would write the laws so that everybody had to pay income tax? Isn't that's what they want. And you would claim that's what they want, right? Um, they want everybody to pay income tax, but your claim kind of um, pivots on, well, they didn't, they, you know, they, they can't do it because this word means this and this word means that. And, but I mean, these are the head liars, right? Like they're, these are the liars, the whole, they make the whole thing work. And these liars can't manipulate the language in such a fashion that the rest of us have to pay tax. 
Well, they have ma manipulated the language. What the problem is that people have not been diligent enough to follow their manipulations. And so if, um, and I want to address your point directly because th that's, that is also in the book uh, that I wrote and, and specifically the chapter on, I wouldn't even call it a chapter, but there's specifically it's a chapter on controlling words. And those are the four controlling words that they cannot redefine. Now, I'm going to tell you why they can't redefine it, because of certain Supreme uh, Court decisions and, cost and, and principles of constitutional law. Namely, that uh, it is elementary law that every statute is to be read in the light of the Constitution. And but the Constitution, word, I mean, you said it no, yourself, I, it was the 16th Amendment that changed the Constitution. So no, presumably, actually, if, what, what's actually, that? It did not change. it did not change the Constitution in any way significant way. What it did was to clarify that income from all sources, whatever derived, is taxable. Now, to understand that statement, you have to know what the word sources mean. And the word sources is one of the four words which is in the definition um, that they cannot define or redefine. And I'm trying to uh, convey to you the reason why they cannot define that. And it's based on uh, about uh, f five or six Supreme Court decisions, and I'll read it briefly. So if you if you would give me a moment, oh, go right uh, ahead. And it, it goes something like this: It's it, it, so long as law. everyone understands that this is not the, this is the advice of Bear and not the advice of Free Talk right. Live, because yeah. I don't know. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I find this it very is, interesting, though. Go ahead, Bear. This is not a this is not advice. What this is is opening the door for your viewers and your listeners to see what's out there. They can make up their own mind as to how they wish to um, uh, use this knowledge, right? But it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amount of knowledge which accumulated over many, many years, not just by me, but by, but by Americans across the country. Little parts and bits are put together, and now I've summarized it. And, and if I may, um, I'm just going to read the part where it says the that the Congress cannot redefine the words that are used in the Constitution. So it goes something like this. It's elementary law that every statute is to be read in the light of the Constitution, and every word must have its due force and appropriate meaning, and no word is to be regarded as unnecessary or needlessly added. The Constitution is a written document. As such, its meaning does not alter that which it meant when it was adopted, it means now. And then words in the Constitution must be read with the gloss of experience of those who framed them and would receive the significance of the experience to which they were addressed, a significance not to be found in the dictionary. In other words, um, the, the Constitution is not only the supreme law of the land, but it forms the basis of all dictionary terms in the legal dictionary in, in American law. Now, moreover, since Congress cannot invoke the power or the sovereignty of the people to override their will as de declared in the Constitution, Congress cannot by any definition and may adopt redefine the words in the Constitution because it cannot by legislation alter the Constitution from which alone it derives its power to legislate. This is that's Eisner versus McCumber. So my point is those four words, if you look at where they come from, let's say the word property, 
since we haven't touched on that. The word property comes from two places in the Constitution. The first place is Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, and it says Congress shall have the power to make any needful rules or regulations respecting its territory or other property belonging to the United States. That's the first place that the word property is used. And that property is distinctly different from life, liberty, and property, which cannot be deprived of without due process of law, and private property, which cannot be taken for, without just compensation under the Fifth Amendment. So if you look back at the, um, the Supreme Court decisions, which I read, it's quite, it's quite telling that there's two kinds of properties that are mentioned in the, pro, uh, in the Constitution. And it is only the property in Article 4 over which Congress shall have the power to make needful rules. Well, what and property is that? Fair. I mean, what what property is is Congress able to make laws about? Because it seems like they make laws about all the land that exists in the United States, it right? Seems, it seems so. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Well, Bear, and I also know that you were there at Ian's trial, and we had uh, long conversations and and talked, and you saw him get found guilty of four charges of tax evasion yeah and but, in that case, i mean in that case they just had to convince some dumb jury people to say a thing they didn't have to prove something it's not like they had well, to actually prove something and it be confirmed that it was legal for him to go to jail they just have to convince a bunch of re i mean it, people who how much time do i have to spend in jail to prove bears uh theories correct so so let me let me because you're um because you're talking about ian and his trial, yep. and especially his charges of, uh, I believe, well, those failure to. What file. I would like to, the point I would like, the point I'm file, trying yeah. to make about Ian's trial is, is that don't expect anything that remotely looks like a fair trial, or for a jury of twelve your peer ignoramuses to find you guilty or not guilty simply because there wasn't evidence or whatever. And also, he had, he had a lawyer, and all the people I've known that have been convicted, they've all had lawyers. Hmm. I mean, yes. it's really the bottom line. Uh, right. <laughs> e- I've seen even, people who don't have lawyers get convicted too, but sure. Yeah. But I can I I can tell you I know of uh, some personal family members. Three of them, they are all charged with the same exact federal crime. My father, my uncle. I'm sorry, my father and my grandmother, two family members, and, and another guy who actually wasn't a family member, charged with the same exact crime, uh, aiding and abetting a felony flea prosecution. My dad did not have a ha, did not have a lawyer. He he defended himself. My grandmother and the other guy they had lawyers. The, the the people. My grandmother and the other guy got convicted. My my father did not get convicted. He wanted his jury trial, and because lawyers are are, are by definition like they're definitely incompetent uh, when it comes to defending your rights. In fact, they can't defend your rights. All they can do is represent a fiction. Represent a fiction. So uh, and then my dad actually wrote the appeals for the other guy and my grandmother. Um, and, uh, you know, within about 90 days, they were both out of jail. Uh, you know, yeah. the appeals were overturned. So anyways, go ahead. Here's one thing that, that um, people don't realize is that lawyers are good at factual manipulation and manipulation of words. However, one thing they can't challenge of the court is jurisdiction. And the fact that uh, there is a failure to file uh, charge before that that even Ian was convicted on. There's a couple things you have to know about that charge. That charge did not have jurisdiction, um, and that's one. And number two, 
Unfortunately, Ian's lawyer did not fight that charge um, at all. And so he would have been found guilty of that with 99% probability anyway, because by the time you step into a charge like that, having failed to uh, uh, challenge jurisdiction properly, I would say, um, the chance of being found guilty is, is extremely high. And because lawyers can't challenge jurisdiction, that pretty much means that he couldn't win that on, on that on those charges. Now, let me just describe what that would mean to uh, challenge jurisdiction in the case of failure to file, um, because your, your listeners may want to know this. Now, the United States Tax Court, uh, if you go to their website, it says in Section 7441 of Title 26 of the United States Internal Revenue Code, it is hereby established under Article 1 of the Constitution of the United States, a court of record known as the tax court. Now, what I just told you is that being established under Article 1 of the United States Constitution means that it is a legislative forum over which Congress can make all needful rules and regulations respecting the presumptive property, whether or not it's real or fiction, that's, that you're alleged to have. Okay, there's the jurisdiction part. It's presumptive, it's alleged, and it's not even real. Okay, and then the other part is that um, if regard that is regarding the property, property doesn't only mean um, things. It doesn't mean a brick of gold or a bar of silver or, or Federal Reserve notes. It also means rights. So, for example, if you have a corporation, you have exercised a property right belonging to the United States, and therefore the corporation is subject to the to the tax on that. On that excise, on that excisable privilege, um, are all the employees of the corporation also liable to pay income tax, or is it only the corporation itself? So uh, you're you're mixing a couple of words here that that I want to uh, make sure that viewers understand. Uh, or rather, your audience understand. We should get into it in the in the next segment. It's 603-283-6160. More from Bear Arms on Free Talk Live is coming up. 603-283-6160. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash, digital cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Yeah! 
603-283-6160 is the phone number. That's 603-283-6160. And I'd like to tell you that Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash, digital cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency made for spending. You can pay your bills with Dash at spritz.finance. Plus, they can send dollars to your bank if you still need those for some reason. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month for this sponsorship. It's easy to get and use Dash. You can learn more at dash.org. That's dash.org. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. And Mark Edge coming to you remote from a remote location in Florida. And we had more to talk to Bear Arms about. Bear, you just put out your first um, book file about legal or is it lawful tax avoidance? Lawful tax avoidance, yes. Well, I I wanted to go back to a question Mark asked that Jay and I were discussing during the break that I still feel hasn't uh, been answered. So Mark asked you, why do they write it this convoluted way where they don't really have the authority to take taxes for you, but they do because people don't question it? Why do they do it this way instead of just saying, we have the right to well, the Constitution talks about men. Well, we have the right to tax all men of all of their actual belongings. Like, why don't they just do it that way? Wouldn't it be easier for them? And people would accept it. I mean, the average person, I say, would. Right. They already accept it. I mean, the, the no. income tax is 99% accepted. I would, I, would, I would beg to differ, first of all. Uh, the income tax is not accepted by 99% of people. In fact, a lot of people I know. Uh, don't pay don't pay any in- income tax they actively avoid actively and lawfully avoid the income tax i've never participated um, in that particular scheme i said 99 percent, and um well, uh, you know the reason i hang out with you guys is because you are definitely not part of the 99 <laughs> percent. well you you got it so then we're definitely not paying that in- income tax but i'll tell you what uh, and i will I say this paid. i have looked into the income tax and it's probably around 50 percent five zero percent of americans yep. pay income tax now mm-hmm. many americans are below the age of working age many are above the age, uh, working age and many are married so it's really hard to tell exactly how many but somewhere around you know, say 45 to 65 percent is from what I can tell is paying income tax. We're, we're trying to make that number a little smaller because I believe that the income tax, the real reason for the income tax is to shrink government and not to expand it. Because if we define the, um, the define it as the tax on federal income and if it were pro- popularly known as that, then the government would have to pay about 25% more for the same labor they purchase from the labor market, thereby shrinking it. It also is a is a advantage for corporations uh, to pay for labor and not for uh, service, which is a big difference, by the way. Um, by paying for labor, they get to expand their company and use it as a tax de- deduction, whereas if they say they're paying for service, then they're saying they're paying for government service and they're and thereby they are bearing false witness against their hardworking laborers, and uh, that's actually not not lawful at all. Because bearing false witness, as you know, is is against one of the Ten Commandments. Um, now, before the break, you had asked me a question: Do people who own the corporations, as well as their employees, uh, are they required to pay the federal income tax or the tax on federal income? Now, that's when that's when uh, we have to go into this 
concept of um, of um, uh, of of a logical fallacy, something called a syntactic ambiguity. In other words, where language may be interpreted in more than one way due to the ambiguous sentence structure or the definitions that are used. In law, that's called equivocation. It's called an equivocation fallacy. And what you proposed was a question using that fallacy, even though you may not know it yourself. And it comes in the form of uh, asking about the word employee. Now, if you look at the word employee, it's, it's commonly thrown around. But legally, legally, it's defined at 3401 of Title 26. And an employee means a government employee, an office or an officer of a corporation. So think about that. An I'm, I'm thinking about how many times the um, the accountant has told me that I have employees um, and they're, that they're they weren't working for the government. Accountants are like lawyers. They're they're super incompetent. <laughs> All these people who have these, you know, government paperwork and college certificates, I just find the more uh, letters that they have after their names and the more, you know, certificates of achievement they get from institutions, the more exactly. incompetent they are. Um, well, yes. look, th- this is so one thing um, like there's this group of people that y- you bear, uh, Jay, bear, perhaps Bonnie. Um, there's this group of people that that knows the truth or at least has some inkling of what the truth is about the tax code. Let me ask you, how many people on the other side, how many people within the United States government or even, um, you know, people who aren't in the United States government know the truth about the tax code and perpetuate the lie because I have never met one. That doesn't mean that it's not true and it doesn't mean they weren't lying. I'm just wondering, is it a small, tiny, tiny little cabal? Are most of the federal government employees um, who are paying income tax tricked into this? Um, I mean, so, just. Yeah. So let me explain that. And, and I wrote that on page 26 and I answered that exact question. And, and it comes from an Upton Sinclair quote, and it says, and he said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on not understanding it. So all those tax lawyers and CPAs out there, the reason they exist is because they're, they're quote unquote, protecting you from the, the greater evils of taxation. And if that, if that taxation, the evil of taxation were gone, or if it were properly applied, then they wouldn't have a job. Okay, it, it, it's that simple. They don't want you to know the truth, even if they do want to do do uh, know the truth. I'll give you, and an I'll example. accept that, Bear. I think that's reasonable uh, to accept it because I, my uncle, who's a CPA, is yeah. likely not lying to me about what his beliefs are surrounding yeah. the tax code. But my question is, how many of them know? How many of them out there, when I file this paperwork that says, give me my money back for all those years of taxation and all that money you got from me to drop million dollar bombs on $10 tents on people around the world, give me that money back. How many of them are going to know to give me my money back? Again, I would say it depends on their intelligence and it depends on their experience. Um, and I would say that but, in general, uh, not, not, the, not whether they, they could know, but whether they do know right now, they, they probably do know. I would say about 20% of those guys do know what's going on. Um, you know how I found out just to give you an idea, 
I found out because I used to be an employee, an elected, well, not an elected official, but, but an officer of the United States. So I found out through working, uh, by working with, for the federal government about this. Okay, so this is not unknown to, to, to people, and anybody who studies it deeply will very soon understand this. Bear, were way, you in the military? Is that where you I was? Yes. I find that that's a different class of government employee. Um, You know, the O class, the E class, government employees are definitely, they're just different creatures than the G class uh, government employees. If people don't, if people don't know what the difference is there, Bear does. Yeah. I lived on a military base that was mostly civilians for the first time in my life as a late teenager, early 20 something year old. They are different than all of the military people I used to live around in a huge way. And they don't care about anything. And they just want to do the least amount of work possible, the government, um, like, contractor types, and then go home. And they don't want to help you. They're like, Entitled Ugh. bureaucrats oh, that my do God, not care at all. Yeah. That they're just cogs in the machine. So, so Mark, uh, you said earlier that your uncle was a CPA. Have you, un- have you thought about what the word CPA stands for and what they really do certified public certified public accountant in other words what are they certified to do they are certified to account bring back joe all right that is why they don't know this stuff because this is not public your income is not public your income is private and that is why they're reading an entirely different book than than um than what we love you joe Jay, stop. That's to- or not Jay Noon, but Jay Preville is doing that. So I don't know how to stop it. Jay's not doing that. Joa is. All right. So anyway, uh, talking about the CPA, the CPA is one who is certified in accounting for public things, not certified private accountant. Okay. Certified public account. That's why they are in, they're doing the internal revenue code. They don't account for things that are external, for example. By the way, the word internal, the word internal means within the United States. And by saying within the United States, you're really saying within the District of Columbia. And and these things are actually defined in the tax code itself at Section 7701 under the definition of a United States and the states. The United States includes the states, and the states include the District of Columbia. And you put those two together, you realize that the United States, when used in the context of the tax code, means the District of Columbia. Uh, and these things are not something that you would just pick up from, from reading. It actually took a while to, 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 to figure out every little bit of, bit of these details. Um, so anyway, did you have another question? Because I, I want to address your question and the questions of your audience as well. Well, I'm I'm concerned that and I did go through the website and I did see some people claiming to have gotten money back. I I couldn't really match the numbers to how much they said they got. The numbers seemed to not qualify, but I'm, you know, trying to read while I'm listening to you at the same time and it's more important to engage in a conversation with you than it is to uh, do research on this webpage. And what was the name of the webpage again? Uh it is uh, losthorizons.com slash um, bulletin board, I believe. 
Right. And if people need to get that website, they can go to our podcast. Uh, that's archives.freetalklive.com. That's archives.freetalklive.com. They can get the, that link and um, do their own research here, which is all I'm asking. Right. Do your own research. You, I, nobody wants to, you know, I, I don't want you to just do it like uh, based on not understanding, just based on copying someone's homework. You got to do your own homework. By the way, that, that, um, uh, that link is on page two of the PDF, which I created for your listeners that they can download. Um, yes. So I guess the other thing that is really important, uh, as far as what I've learned is that it is not the government, which is actually at fault. You know, who's at fault for making you pay the income tax or the tax on federal income. It's actually, the person bearing false witness against you. So, for example, uh, you go work, let's say you go work for Walmart, right? Just an example. Um, when you work for Walmart, Walmart will ask you to fill out a W-2. And in that W-2, it will use the terms of art defined by the IRS, namely employee, employer, and wages. And as I said earlier, all those are technical terms. And they are subject to the to the syntactual ambiguity um, and the and the and the logical fallacy of equivocation. So when you say employee, an employee is defined very very specifically as an employee, an elected official, an officer of the United States, or Bear, an officer of the can they hold me liable for not knowing these terms? I mean, do I need a lawyer yes. to determine you need yourself? Okay. You, need, you, you need to know your. You need to know this stuff for yourself, because again, um, by the way, they're not. We're not dealing with lawyers. What we're dealing with is attorneys, and there's a big difference well, between. When I when I read the word wages, I think I know what that means. When I read the term employee, I think I know what that means, and um, you know all the rest of these terms, and, and income, and that's where you you deceive yourself. Because the word wages mean uh, government pay for government service. It's remuneration for services performed by an employee for his employer, where an employer means the person for whom an employee performs any service. These are all very, very technical terms, and they're spun together as to confuse you. And if you don't actually read it for yourself, you will never know what they mean. The bottom line is employer means government. Employee means the employee of government or an officer of a corporation. And the word wages mean government pay for government service. For example, I I got you. I I just, you know, there's so many things I have to sort of, you know, talk about on this one. Yeah. When my good friend, Ian Freeman, was in a trial, um, they spent very, you know, for tax evasion, four counts of tax evasion, they spent very, 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 very little time talking about taxes and the avoidance thereof, um, you know, the whatever deceptions he might have used or whatever, right? But the jury, Mm chose to find him guilty on this. Now, what that said to me is, is that, um, you know, I better not ever, ever, ever get myself into a situation where I'm sitting in front of a jury and waiting on a fair trial. 
Um, what it said to me is, is that a jury uh, of ignoramuses is a deadly thing for one's liberty because this, these 12 people, 12 people agreed. There wasn't one person among these 12 people that's thought that a man who didn't, who was not told how much he owed, not even close, not even given some yeah. notion, was not asked for money, was not like, you know, everything you could imagine as far as tax evasion would go, like there wasn't a piece, there wasn't a single fact that was presented. In fact, the IRS agent, the IRS agent sat on the stand and when asked by the attorney whether it is possible that Ian Freeman owes nothing, she said yes. The jury of his peers found him guilty and sent him to prison for eight years. And... okay. All I can say is, boy, dear God, I don't want to go there talking to them about wages and all this other stuff. I just yeah. want to never be in you're, front of those people. You're absolutely right. And let me, uh, and that's why I've, I've addressed that, by the way. So if you go to the PDF that I wrote um, under FAC, that's uh, Frequently Asked Questions, um, there's a p- part uh, on number five on page 22 Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the guy named Lazy Larry. Lazy Larry works for a fair false witness. He blindly copied someone else's example for his tax return, but didn't study the law for himself. And although the, initially the government gave him his money back, a few la- years later, the IRS threatened him with a $5,000 frivolous returns penalty. And after months of arguing, the IRS rejected all of Lazy Larry's assertions and summoned him to tax court, where he eventually lost and was forced to pay tens of thousands of dollars. Where did Larry, Lazy Larry go wrong? That's a very important question, right? Because that's a question that addresses what, what most people fear. Now, let me, let me, let me read what, what Larry did uh, right. La- Lazy Larry rightly asserted that he was not a taxpayer. He was not an employee, and he did not receive wages from an employer. What he forgot is that he who asserts bears the burden of proof and that he cannot prove those assertions to the negative. In other words, he can't prove I'm not a, a taxpayer or that I am not an employee or so, and, and, and so forth. And further, it was not the IRS who imposed the, the liability. It was actually bear false witness, the person Larry labored for. It was bear false witness who ignored the law and falsely claimed that he paid Lazy Larry remuneration for services when, as a private person, he was not, in fact, an employer and did not hire actual government employees, nor was he a recipient of government services. Thus, bear now, false witness. Now, bear, I mean, is the IRS you. knows whether I'm the government or not, if I as, an, I, as an employer, am the government or not. And them taking my word for it, um, you know, the, them tossing out a bunch of uh, terms and then taking my word for it that I'm the government sounds absolutely ridiculous. Well, that's what they depend on you to believe, because when you believe that things are ridiculous and it can't be that bad or the, that simple or that way, then you've just uh, allowed them to um, assert the presumption that are that those are which are false. So well, my, are, these, my presumption, to be clear, my presumption is this, that the people in government are parasites and that the parasites have convinced themselves that they deserve 
whatever amount of money that they can get because people have been paying them all along and that they are that that they have written laws that give them the quote unquote right to be able to do so. That's what my assumption is. My assumption is, well, is that I is, is, is unfortunately it's not right, because what, what you're assuming is that you are um, less powerful than you actually are. Now, remember. But you're talking about the powers given to me by the government that the government is then trying to take away from me, Bear. I mean, like there's this greater government that sits above the government or something. Well, hold on. The government never gave you any powers. You gave the government powers. No, I didn't. You consented. (laughs) Oh, no, you did. You did. You know why you did? Because who makes the laws, my friend? Isn't it your representatives who wrote up the laws and, and put them into papers? I've written, I've voted for very few of these people, but go ahead. All all right. But, but the point is, the point is all powers, all just powers of government come from the consent of the governed, at least in theory. And at least in theory, you are the one that wrote the tax law. You and every American out there delegated his or her authority to write the tax code. So what is the government supposed to think? I can tell you this. The government assumes that you know that what, what you wrote. And how it applies, and what it's so supposed to do. Well, After I think all, that the government the does think that, Bear. That's what those twelve people thought. Those twelve people thought that Ian was a bad man that had evaded his taxes, and they sent him to prison. I, I was at your at, at Ian's I house, you the same, yep. as, as same you as you. Coming. You were, um, and what I what my observation was, it was that his attorney did not fight jurisdiction. His attorney left out a lot of presumptions unchallenged. And you know what an unchallenged presumption becomes? It becomes true under the law. Sure. sure. And the fact that he didn't presu- he didn't challenge those presumptions uh, was is a is a legal error. And and again, he's not a lawyer. I keep telling you this. He is an attorney. An attorney is not necessarily a lawyer. A lawyer is not an attorney. A lawyer is one who knows the law. An attorney is one who delegates your agency uh, for representation purposes. For example, uh, a, a um, an attorney, um, what do they call it? Attorney, uh, the uh, power of attorney, right? So I could I could have anybody on the street be a power of attorney for my purposes of let's say uh, being sick at the hospital for a week, uh, for whatever reason. Sure. They don't have to be lawyers. They have they have no. Uh, require, there's no requirement for them to actually know the law. The same way that attorneys who represent uh, their clients in court um, are not really knowledgeable about the law. Or if they are, they only know enough um, or are willing to fight enough as long as it's, com- it's, incompat- it's compatible with the jurisdiction that's presented to them. Then they go and get um, become a part of the bar and lose all integrity. Yeah, and then maybe they do that. But again, I'm not. I'm not going to point fingers because I, I. I know that there's different people in different places, in different situations. Some of them are good people as well. I don't. I don't well, exclude that. As, as I a, believe as I a, withdrew my consent by choosing to leave the United States government, uh, the, 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 their jurisdiction. Right, like I left the land that they own. And... No, I'll tell you why you didn't. I'll tell you why you didn't. When I was in Iraq, all right, we saw guys uh, go on missions. With, with, Hold on, Bear, the, there is... Bear, I do want to hear music. more of this. 
Um, if you don't okay. mind staying on, I'll, I'll talk to you on the break. It's Free Talk sure. Live, 603-283-6160. You can call in. We are having an interesting conversation with Bear Arms about lawful tax avoidance. 603-283-6160 if you have any questions for him. We'll be right back. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. number that's 603-283-6160 right now we have bear arms on the line and he is telling us about his new book that he wrote about lawful tax avoidance and a lot of people hear that and they go oh no i don't want to be involved in that such as mark i think (laughs) well hold on i didn't unmute you oh wait i did and um i find it really interesting i went to bear arms um, what would you call it? Presentation and keen about it. And I found it really enlightening. He talked about how he personally used these things. And we're going to talk to him about his new books. And anybody who has any questions about it can call in, which we already do have someone on the line for that. But first, I wanted to, to tell you guys about ForkFest. Free Talk Live is brought to you by ForkFest happening June 13th through the 16th at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire, ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival. ForkFest is decentralized, so there is no ticket cost and no one is in charge. For more information and to connect with other attendees, you can visit the unofficial website, ForkFest.Party. That's ForkFest.Party. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark Edge. And bringing... Bear arms back. We did have yeah. someone else on the phones who wanted to ask you a question. So, Peter in Virginia. Oh, I guess I just dropped Bear on accident. <laughs> I didn't know how to do both. But, Peter, just go ahead and ask your question and we'll get Bear back. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sorry about any inconvenience that uh, I may have caused That's with dropping the. Totally uh, on me. Guest. Just. Just um, maybe, maybe not so much a question on on Bear, but but more so just some personal feedback from just listening to, um, you know, to him for the past like fifty minutes or so. Um, and you know, I, I just want to preface by saying I'm very sympathetic with with his with his premise. <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny how uh, every month, if you get a, a salary every month or every two weeks, you uh, you, know, you see your your paycheck and and you see how, how much goes to the feds, and then the feds have guts to say every year coming up here shortly, right, that, uh, hey, you made X amount of money, 
uh, you know, forget about the fact that we took some money out of that, right? Your paycheck every month or every two weeks throughout the year. Just forget about it. You made X amount, pay us a lump sum, and that's your income tax if you have to pay, which, you know, I, it's, it's pretty not, it's nonsense. I, you know, it's, it's living in some sort of uh, despotic system. That's, that's my view. But um, unfortunately, I am also familiar with people like Erwin Schiff. Um, I, I do, I'm a fan of his, of his son's work. Uh, but um, just, just my, my own two cents here. Um, so I, I, I'm not an accountant or anything. I studied econ in school um, in George Mason, which is probably the only place you can get free market slash Austrian uh, stuff in, in the U.S. Um, that I'm aware of. But even people like like uh, Walter Williams, one of my professors before he passed away, he, you know, he would he would tell us, he would lecture us about the un, you know un, unconstitutionality of the income tax. And he would, you know, he would always preface by saying, look, you know, this is just um, me giving you the history of the income tax. It's not me telling you don't pay it, right? And if you listen to uh, other scholars that actually study this, uh, person that comes to mind is uh, Tom DiLorenzo uh, at Mises uh, Institute. He's done years of, of work uh, around this, this topic, the, the progressive era, you know, the, the income tax. And, and he, he always does that, that preface, right? The, uh, that he's not suggesting the audience not pay the income tax. Rather, he's just explaining how it came about and how, uh, how, how pretty you know, uh, retarded the whole, the whole thing is. <laughs> but um, my, my, my recommendation to your audience, which was, I think, um, which was elaborated by one of the, uh, the hosts here, was um, don't, don't take the chance, right? Don't, don't take the chance and, uh, and, and not pay the income tax, because I, I guarantee you the cost of doing so outweighs the cost of giving up a portion of your income. Right. What are the costs of not doing so? So when you, you you're weighing this out, um, you know, and I exactly. I tend to agree with you. I would rather pay twenty thousand dollars the United States government than to spend um, you know a year in prison. As a matter of fact, I I go so far as to double that number. I might even triple that number, um, depending on you know what the the circumstances. It's it's the sodomy that bothers me the most. Um, but prison. <laughs> Sure. Oh, okay. I'm told that that's what happens. Well, didn't you spend yep. some time there already? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no sodomy that time. Um, so let's let's get um let me let me just kind of condense this to a question for, or gotcha. at least a comment for our um host or not host but um caller bear. So basically, you're you're saying you may agree with him, well, but um yeah. you would wouldn't want people to to risk it, correct? Yeah, it, exactly. I guess like a, a good question. I guess if if that's uh, that's what need, is, is needed is you know, what what incentive to uh, to regular people have, hmm. right? Let's not assume the the audience of the show. I, my, my assumption is the audience here is a lot smarter than you know my next door neighbor uh, hmm. who may be who may be a moron, right? So what what incentive does this moron have? Okay, so. Bear arm, uh, sorry, I hung up on you. I didn't mean to do that. But bear arms, did you hear the question? I believe, I believe we're trying to establish a risk reward benefit sort of thing. Is that is that basically what we're you're asking about? 
Yeah, and he said basically okay. what is like the average person's incentive to do this versus right. what okay. could happen to them. Well, I'll tell you what it is. The average person works about 40 years and pays, if, if they pay federal income tax, anywhere from 20 to maybe 30% on average. So if you're, t- if you're paying like 25% of your labor uh, into the federal income tax and you work 40 years, then by definition, you're enslaved for 10, correct? Um, I, I personally refuse to do that. I refuse to go on the knee. You know, uh, and I'm going to fight it and I'm going to and I've been winning so far for seven years and plus. And, and, and the thing is, if everybody knew what I understand and everybody did what I do. And again, not just knowing the law, knowing how to uh, to apply the law on paper, but also in what we call the operation of law, which I was going to uh, I wanted to uh, touch on as well. Um, so the audience can read read about it um, in detail and study it for themselves. But that that's basically the cost and and the uh, the the cost of not having this knowledge is twenty five percent of your your life's labor. That's too high of a price for me to pay personally. I wouldn't even give them five percent, you know. Um, and that's because I, I've I've done I've done almost fifteen years service, actual service, right, government service. Uh, in the military, and I understand that um, that I'm just not willing to let my money go to causes which I don't support, and in an amount that exceeds uh, 10% for that matter, and, and it's like 25% of your entire life. Are you kidding me? No. Hell no. Right? That's my opinion. That's my, that's my feeling on this. Now, go, let's go back to that question that Mark had before the last um, break, which was which was like something along the lines of how he decided to get off the jurisdiction of the United States and therefore he is no longer subject to the tax. Well, I, I'm sorry, but that is actually not true. And I'll tell you why. Because in my experience, when I was in Iraq, there were a lot of contractors and not all the contractors were American. And when they got paid uh, by uh, KBR, you know, Kellogg, Brown and Root or whatever it is, um, they had taxes taken out of their paychecks just like Americans. They had, uh, they had to pay a portion of their tax to the IRS. They had to file IRS paperwork. In fact, there were, there were even like IRS, um, it was even an IRS office that I remember on base, I believe. And, and the point is, it's not who you are or who or where you go in this world. What it is, is what you do and whose property you receive or whose property rights you exercise. Well, I, if, I, you, if, if we're going to talk about um, income tax specifically, I want to talk about um, the foreign income exclusion. And thank you for uh, the question, Peter, by the way. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, and that is what that means is, A, you must pay FICA. Now, FICA is your Medicare and Social Security. That's not income tax. It's something different than income tax, but it looks like income tax because it's taken it out is, of your yeah, yeah. It's taken out it's of your a, paycheck. It's a portion of your it's a portion of your your presumed income. 
It's right. It's a portion of your presumed income in so much as it comes off of the form you fill out. And the United States government does say that you are responsible for filling out a form for them. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's a real problem. I think it's a violation of the 13th Amendment, um, which is, you know, uh, involuntary servitude. Why should I have to fill out your paperwork? But that's a different point than um, the 16th Amendment. But the the last thing, and this is very important, is I think it's about $108,000, which is more than well over 50% of Americans. Um, in order to, if you're, you know, a for, if you're outside the United States for 330 days a year, or you um, are, uh, you, you know, that uh, you're, you're a resident of another country or whatever the situation is, then you... Um, don't have to pay, uh, you know, about on your first $108,000, you don't have to pay federal income tax. Now, yeah, federal yeah. income tax is a specific number. And personally, I have not paid it very much, but I certainly have paid FICA and uh, small business tax, small, as a, I think a small business tax or something like that. Self-employment tax, that's, that's what it's called. And, okay. you know, these kind of things. So go ahead. So, so you had a, you had mentioned that this is a violation of the Thirteenth Amendment, which is no no slavery or involuntary servitude, correct? Right. Now I'll tell you why it's not. I'll tell you why you actually volunteered into it, and I'll tell you who's bearing false witness against you. Again, it's a person who you work for who is actually not government who fills out these forms, which by the way are called information forms. And if you have any uh, familiarity with but criminal Bear, law, I haven't worked for um, I've been self-employed for but, many, many years, um, right, 20, so, I guess. So when you fill out your form and by the way, you do claim self-employment. Is that correct? I have claimed self-employment tax in the past. Yeah. All right. So, I hate it, so do but you, I do it because it's so, a it's just a bad deal. Social Security is a bad deal. It's a much better idea to take the money yeah. that you paid into Social Security Pop it in a, oh, a you know a, an index hold matching on. fund and go from Before, there. Yeah, Be, but, but hold on. Before you bear false witness against yourself, do you know what the mean what the meaning of the term uh, net earnings from self employment means? Well, if I you mean, don't, if, it if you sounds don't, like hold, the hold earnings on, that you on. made from self employment <laughs> netted down. It does. It, it does sound like that. But let me tell you what it really means. Okay, you can read that at, at section 1402. It means the gross income derived from any trade or business. Now, keep in mind what that means. A trade or business is then defined at section 7701 as the performance of the functions of a public office. So the moment you claim self-employment is the moment IRS knows that you've just volunteered into the system by failing to read the law that you wrote yourself by deleg- through the delegation of your representatives. You see and what when, I'm you saying? You brought up one thing that, that caught my attention there. Um, is, is there not a law that specifically says you must fill out one of their you know, 1040 forms or some kind of IRS paperwork there, every year is, as a U.S. There citizen? Is, there is no law. And I'll tell you why there is no law. Because the law is not in words. It's in operation. It's called the operation of law. So let me ask you this. If you wrote down that you're self-employed and that you have net earnings from self-employment, why do you expect them to apply that definition to anything else 
than what you wrote down and testified to. Because when you wrote that down, you testified to the performance of the functions of a public office. That's something you said on your own. That's not something someone else compelled you to do. Do you see what I'm saying? And if you sure, if you I mean did, it's it, it's it's full on entrapment, right? They they give you a piece of paper. No, they say here, no, fill this not. piece of paper out, and if you do it wrong, prison pound you. Didn't hear anything. What's well, this? look again. When you when you succumb to coercion and browbeating and that kind of thing, uh, then and you give up your rights uh, without actually a fight, then then they have you. All right. On the other hand. If you say to them, listen, I didn't perform the functions of a public office, therefore I did not perform or have a trade or business. And if I didn't have a trade or business, I did not receive gross income derived from a trade or business, which means I had no net income from self-employment as defined in Section 1402. Therefore, none of this stuff applies to me. Well, I, I feel like I can't um, count on a jury of my peers to... You're not going to get a jury. I can guarantee you that. You're not going to get a jury if you take care of this administratively. Um, now, the, the, thing, the thing that bothers me most is, again, syntactic ambiguity and the fact that people do not read the law and find out the words they are using. They are using common words... For you to deceive yourself, for you to entrap yourself. And once you know those common words and you step away from them, then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know what Jesus told Peter? Uh, Peter asked him, who goes to heaven, right? And you know what Jesus said? He said, he said, only those who are as innocent as children can attain the kingdom of God. And what that means is that you have to use words that you don't know, that you didn't know before you were like an eight-year-old. For example, my mom goes to work to make a living. Okay, that's different from what IRS uh, technical words would mean. My mom receives remuneration for services as an employee for her employer. Those are technical terms. Do you understand? When you use technical terms... And when you fail to understand that those technical terms sound like ordinary words that you use in day-to-day life, then you have volunteered into their system. It is not a Fifth Amendment violation for you to, to, to bear witness against yourself and sign a tax return. It is not a 13th Amendment violation uh, against uh, uh, involuntary servitude. It is because you have failed your own duty to know the meaning of the words. And remember, you're the one that created those documents. I mean, well, that's sounds, not using, you know, English like a like like a child. We we didn't create the documents. See, this is the, the part that gets me a little irritated with it. It's like Jay Noon in the break was saying, well, the thing about it is the Constitution gives them the authority over persons and you're you're not you're basically no, claiming what I said. well the constitution okay. doesn't well, give can, them any let me authority. finish really yep. fast so you're saying that the constitution doesn't give them authority over regular people men but once you claim to be like a citizen okay then they then you're they have the authority right but when you claim to be so, a, U, a US citizen specifically yeah because a US citizen is a second class of citizen 
that basically didn't really exist until 1864. But here's my thing about it. I literally didn't write the laws, like you're saying, Bear, and I literally didn't decide I was a citizen, U.S. citizen. And I mean, like, that is, that's the part that bothers me about it. It's like, if if we were just going to use this, sorry, if we're we're just going to go strictly on, and I'm not really saying you're wrong or anything, it's just like, I'm just trying to get to what lots of people are probably thinking about this. It's- if, if, if I may, Bonnie, uh, I, if I may kind of prop you up a little bit and say, listen, Bonnie, you're not the one that wrote it. You are the one whose sovereignty was extended, whose power was delegated to write it. In fact, you are the power that generates all those all those laws and statutes and codes. And guess what? And because you did that, They've they have presumed that you understood and know everything that's in there. So all three point eight million words in the Internal Revenue Code, they assume that you're the since you're the power that generated it. They assume that we the people know what's written there. Now, as regards to the word person, that word person is used in many different uh, uh, legal texts and it's defined in many different ways. One of which. Under the 1099, uh, under under um, both the 1099s, um, a person, and that's 26 United States Code 6041A, a person is defined to mean any government unit and any agent or instrumentality thereof. Also, see 6045. That's section 6045. So when you use the word person inappropriately. For example, on a W-9 form, they figure you understand that you are a government unit or an instrumentality or a unit or, or, a, or instrumental agency thereof. They presume you understand what you write on the paper, even though it's, it's far beyond the average uh, man to, to know these things. And that's why I've summed it up in the document that I have. So that you would stay away from using common terms in this synthetic ambiguity, this logical fallacy we call equivocation, to play into their hands. You see what I'm saying? I, I, do, but- I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I, for example, one of the things I do, and I, I've had some help with from a guy named Christopher Gronsky on this, is when I work for corporations so i've worked for some large construction companies in the past and 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 recently i've worked for some (laughs) property management companies uh i actually have a modified um substitute uh w9 and then i attach a w8 to it which is an affidavit of foreign status these are irs documents and i give them to their accounting department or you know whoever is going to pay me and sometimes they scoff at it and say what am i supposed to do with this and i say well if you don't know what to do with it you should probably call the irs and ask him what to do with it and they go through fine. They pay me. Right. And here's the, here's the other thing. I've done contract work as well as a 1099 guy, right? So here's what I write to the HR person. And this is, by the way, this is on page 16 of the book, or 17, rather. Um, I asked them, um, before I can sign your W-9 form, um, I, have to on, I have to request that the company disclose the following to me in writing. Number one, is your company performing the functions of a public office? And number two, is your company a government unit, agency, or... We love you so much, Joe.
Well, it looks like... You're the best, Joa. It looks like we're out of time for this segment, uh, Bear. And I am going to put this on at least the Free Talk Live Twitter because our Mastodon is down. More coming up at 603-283-6160. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. ShireSociety.com It's Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control, and 603 283-6160 is the phone number. That's 603-283-6160. And I would like to thank Anthony Mitchell Brink for being a plant, platinum level amplifier. And I might have butchered that last name, but I really do appreciate you being a platinum level amplifier, Anthony. And what does that mean? That means that he went to amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com and is now helping to amplify, or sorry, advertise, market, promote, and support Free Talk Live. And we really appreciate that. So thank you so much to Anthony. And if you'd like to become an amplifier, you can go to amps, that's amps.freetalklive.com. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark. And I'm going to go straight to the calls. We have Alu on the line. Alu, what's on your mind in New Hampshire? How's it going? Good. Just removing my blue teeth. Um, there's a bill among all the other bills relating to secession. There's another bill tomorrow being heard in the Criminal Justice Committee in the New Hampshire House of Representatives, proposed by our friend we all love, Matt Santanastasso, and it would essentially repeal the red flag law. Um, contrary to popular opinion, nobody knows that New Hampshire actually has some pretty bad red flag gun confiscation. No, we're not the most statist state, but all states besides Kansas. So like 49 states seem to have it, and it's called restraining orders. So in the restraining order statute is a de facto red flag law where there's ex parte, zero due process gun confiscation. So this would kind of reform that and add some due process into that. So that hearing is tomorrow at 930 in the state house, but also you can put in your testimony with either just supporting the bill or you could write whatever blurb you want online at the state house website. Um, so currently the anti-gun people, the pro-red flag law gun confiscation people are outnumbering those who support the bill by like 100 to three. So I'd encourage anyone who supports due process or second amendment rights or anything like that or liberty 
or fairness to go and put in their testimony and or go to the state house tomorrow. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for so much for reminding us of that. I'm going to it. I'm going to the 9:30 a.m. secession bill one too, and I'm just going to hop in there. I'll have my little brother with me, actually helping to man the camera, so that's good. And um, I'll be able to hop into the other one because it's a really important bill um, for anyone who doesn't understand what Alu means by the red flag laws, the restraining order, um, gun rights taking away situation it's really bad it's like new hampshire has pretty good gun laws like maybe the best in the country if not the best i think the best are tied for best and um we still have it to where if somebody's girlfriend is mad at them and accuses them of hitting her or something stupid like that well you'll just get your guns taken away without any due process the cops will come to your house and say well your girlfriend has accused you of hitting you you got to we just wait for your day in court to get your guns back. We're taking all guns in your house. It's what the judge said. It's crazy. Yep. That's so that's really, really bad. Um so come out and support that. And um a lot of other bills. And you could just follow libertyblock.com because we, we write about all these bills. Um there are a lot of other similar bills in the criminal justice committee and other good bills, some very good ones, some bad ones. Matt Santanastasso and Jason Gerhard proposed a bunch of really good ones. Um, so I'll be supporting all those, but hopefully tomorrow we'll all be at the state house, uh, testifying on a whole bunch of good bills. Now I got a letter from Mr. Ian Freeman today and oh. it informed me that this year we could be a little more optimistic about the succession bills, not only because of the, um, uh, BLC ruling that you can't kick him out of the house for supporting independence, but also because two of the people on the uh, state federal relations committee that's going to hear this bill, I think, are Tom Mannion and Brandon Finney, two pro-liberty people who I would think are pro-independence. So if two out of 20 are supportive, um, whereas last time um, none of them really supported it, even though a One few of them told me personally they would. Yeah. Two two of them told me personally. Oh, yeah. um, what's her name? The, uh, the I lady who... I can't remember. I know her face, but I can't remember her name. Well, her husband was the, what's it called, guy? From uh, the thing, yeah, from you know. the thing in Nevada. Yeah. yeah. I know who yeah. you're talking about. So there's a state rep whose husband went to prison for five years because he was standing with Eamon Bunny, Bundy, right? Wasn't it, Alu? Yep, yep. So so her, her um, she was cool. We spoke for a while after the hearing. She was supportive. So she and I think uh, Bill Marsh or Bill, Bill something, um, I forgot the last name, but one of the other guys in the committee told me he would support it. Um, so at least two of them told me they would vote yes, and they all voted no. But this time we have like Brandon Finney and Tom Mannion, two people who are pretty tough with backbones who support liberty. So hopefully they would receive us a little better. Um, and and I, I think it will be a lot better this time. So hopefully we'll all flood the place tomorrow for the independence bills. And we really don't want there to be a smaller turnout than last time because there's more support for it this time. And I feel like the free staters are really the only ones who are going to stand up and support this bill and even though a lot of natives really like support independence ian and i have went around the state interviewing people we've had hundreds of just regular republicans tell us oh yeah i totally support that and here's my reasons a lot of time it has to do with like oh something something that you know maybe they have different reasons than ian and i but there's tons of support for secession and we want them there to be a large turnout again um to show that to these people who are going to be voting on whether or not to recommend it to the House when the House votes on it. And I'm still hold, waiting for Hold on, is the hold on, on is it. is the House voting on secession or are they voting on 
a thing that goes on the ballot to allow people to vote on secession. It's the, yeah, it's a the letter. Yep, it's gonna it's going to give. So they would be voting to recommend to the House to allow the people to vote on an amendment to the Constitution that would say we, the people of New Hampshire, secede from the Union if the federal government hits $40 trillion of debt. Now, I think this is very interesting. Um, now, I don't, I don't support, uh, you know, as a former Granite Stater, if I got to vote on it, I would say, no, secession is not a good idea. But I kind of like the idea of putting this if they hit $40 trillion in deficit. Now, you may have to move it to 45 or 50. By the time this gets on the ballot, they could have blown past that number. But it, either way, um, if, if, they, if you give an ultimatum, it says to the federal government, hey, you can't create this much debt. Otherwise, you're going to have to deal with this ugly legal ramification. And I think that is a pretty cool idea. So, Alu, correct me if I'm wrong here, but... Um... If this is a bill that I, I read the text of a little while ago, it says basically to succeed from the United States of America, correct? I think so. Okay. I don't like the wording of that. It, sh- it specifically should include uh, maybe it should be United States of America and United States because they're two separate entities. The United States of America is a federation of sovereign nation states. <clears throat> The United States is specifically the District of Columbia territories and possessions. There is Supreme Court ruling that states that, for example, New Hampshire is foreign to the United States, just like New Hampshire is foreign to Vermont. Vermont is a separate nation state within a federation called the United States. I don't know the uh, site for this uh, Supreme Court ruling, but also with respect to to the federal debt, that money is actually uh, a debt of the United States, not the United States of America. And there's just a lot of, you know, screwing around with wordplay and people don't really understand what things mean. Yeah, so come out to the hearing and propose that. Oh, yeah, that um, could be amended. Yeah, Sorry. it says declaring independence from the United States of America in the titles of the bill and stuff, but in the actual bill... It just says United States, so it is interesting. Okay, good. It does say United States. Good, good. Because that, because that is, <clears throat> I think the real way to go about this. And I actually just wrote an email the other night about how I have nine irons in the fire right now. Uh, so I, I can't come do it to uh, actually testify tomorrow. I was at the state house testifying yesterday. Um, I, I am just buried in work and things to do, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I have a, a lot of uh court actions going on right now uh but anyways the um uh you know the thing is is the the there's a corporation called the state of new hampshire that was created i don't know it was 1889 or something and um that was uh essentially chartered under the united states corporation and, and and quite simply i believe the solution to this is dissolving such corporation and i think another solution to this is people individuals just declaring that they are without the united states such as I have done when I got my passport app, when I did my passport application and to stop acting, talking, walking and signing documents stating they're United States citizens unless they declare that they are, you know, a specific United States citizen as defined in a 1950 something court uh, court ruling called uh, 
the Hooven Allison case. If you just looked that up, Hooven Allison definition of United States. Um, I'm not super prepared to have this uh, discussion now, but uh, you know, there is a lot of alternatives. Uh, this is something that I, uh, you know, should you know participate in probably more because I happen to know a lot about it. Christopher Gronsky knows a lot about this stuff. Uh, but the bottom line is the United States is a hostile, um, you know, military invasion, uh, in that has invaded this land we, we call New Hampshire. Uh, and that's really the bottom line. And, uh, there's no, um, constitutional authority for the United States corporation to do what it's doing, uh, you know, here in New Hampshire, uh, whether it's taxes, whether it's arresting people. And, uh, and we also have, you know, this kind of segues to another thing, um, there's, a, there's an, an affidavit notice process uh, thing I've been following. Uh, we have actually like 60 or 75 legislators here in New Hampshire that are on board uh, with this thing, uh, this notice process. This notice process uh, is being headed up by a man named David Jose. And if you want to check him out on Twitter, I would recommend people uh, just click on his last Twitter space and just listen to it. Um, they're like four hour long Twitter spaces. If you want to get to the meat of it, just, you know, fast forward like 20 minutes. But, uh, his Twitter handle is at real Dave cares for you. And that's the number four and the letter U at the end. And, um, so, uh, Leah Cushman actually did a, um, uh, you know, has addressed the legislature now multiple times on their constitutional authority and telling them not to step outside their constitutional authority. Uh, yesterday, a, a fella named Andrew Noyce, um, he testified before a committee about the election thing, you know, uh, about, about some election committee, about uh, election machines, and stating that the Constitution does not give him any authority to have digital ele- electronic machines, uh, voting machines, that you know, humans are supposed to count these votes. And th- so the, the, the voting machines are, you know, they, they, they are not... Um, you know, constitutionally sound. There, there's no constitutional authority for them, and essentially, the government is op is operating outside its constitutional authority. And if anybody wants to see cons- the federal government doesn't have much in the constitution about voting, it uh, leaves voting to the state, right? Right. And there's, there's, the state there, decides that. Right. The, the, what Andrew Noyce test about testified about yesterday. Uh, it, he's talking about the state constitution. There is no provision within the New Hampshire. The, the the constitution for New Hampshire state uh, for there to be electronic voting machines or voting machines. All votes are supposed to be counted by people. And one of the guys, the lawyers, uh, you know, one of the people on this committee answered back with, well, you know, the largest voting district in the country is Derry, New Hampshire, 18,000 votes. He's like, how are we supposed to count those votes, you know, by hand? And, 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 and Andrew Noyce's response was, well, amend the New Hampshire constitution then if you want to use electronic voting machines uh but and as we know the electronic voting machines now there's you know there is uh they should be spitting out a receipt for every ballot that goes through it of who is checked off on that ballot they have a little printer on them um they're made by the same company that makes makes atm machines diebold corporation and you know several others uh so there's no reason that they don't spit out an actual receipt and that receipt should be you know evidence of who you voted for but they you know, we know they don't want people counting the votes. Uh, they want machines doing it because, uh, and, and, and machines that have a proprietary software that nobody can view except for you know the companies that creates uh, those machines. So, you know, it's 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 all ripe for corruption right from the beginning. 
But uh, what I was going to say, uh, if anybody wants to check out, like, for example, there's a notice on my website right now at the top of the page. Uh, that's uh, jnoon.com. If you want to go check out that notice, it is a notice to investigate DCYF. And this is an example of one of these notices that you can fill out. It's a jot form link. And you can, uh, you know, send it. I mean, uh, uh, the committee to investigate the Health and Human Services Committee has gotten hundreds of these notices already. And there is going to be a committee to investigate DCYF happening uh, very soon. Well, within the next com- couple months, we have a few se- uh, organization sessions that we got to uh, attend first. Um, but yeah, uh, things are happening. Uh, there is a good remedy out there. And, you know, Alu, I want to thank you for your. Um, uh, your efforts in this, you've been, uh, you know, very consistent on writing about this, telling people about this, and uh, thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Alu that helped that with the idea for the red flag law, or, um, you know, amendment, I mean, not amendment, bill, bill, there we go. Not the red yeah, flag yeah. bill, but the no, anti-red the flag bill, there we go. Yeah, interestingly, just a heads up, because a lot of the people who who opposed it on their remote testimony online said that they don't support it because OLS, as written, they messed it up big time. And it repeals the part, um, the part of the law that says if you violate a protective order, cops can take your guns. And that makes sense to a lot more people, whereas what Matt intended to do, and he's going to fix with the amendment tomorrow, hopefully, mm-hmm. is repeal the part that initially um, authorizes police to take your guns by red flag law kind of confiscation when the order is initially approved by a judge. Okay. Interesting. Bringing it up, I think it's uh, worth pointing it out that um, if you have been convicted of a felony, New Hampshire is actually one of the worst states in the union for you possessing a weapon. Um, I have a felony conviction and I've looked into this uh, quite a bit and they have at least at one point, and I don't know if this has been recently changed, but they it was illegal for me to carry a Billy's, which is a stick, a Dirk, which is an ice pick, and um, you know all kinds that I've seen people get uh, convicted for simply having knives. And this is, you know, I mean, it, it makes it a difficult sell to say that the you know, New Hampshire has the greatest gun laws, except if you've ever run afoul of the government. So, uh, 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 a hay hook looks just like an ice pick. I wonder, yeah. Mark, is that why I never got you to stack hay with me? Because you couldn't, couldn't handle <laughs> Seems like a lot hook. of work. <laughs> no, I, I have picked up ice picks in the state of New Hampshire. I'm willing to admit it here on the air. I think Jason Gerhardt has a bill, I believe, this session to improve the ability of um, convicted persons after they serve their time in incarceration and a sentence to get all their civil rights back, including firearms rights. I hope that that's the case. Um, I'd love to hear more about it. It was uh, because I went in front of, you know, the criminal justice committee and uh, spoke to these folks and, you know, they it passed. But then in the dark of night, it somehow got, um, you know, failed somehow. I don't don't, I don't know what happened, but it went from sure. This is a good idea to gone. House bill 144 and it was already killed by the house on the 4th. Damn it. What because, was that one for? Sorry. Well, because Mark Edge didn't testify in time, Jason's bill was killed. Uh, I don't ago. live I don't live in the state of New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize wow, the House already voted on it. ITL two hundred ninety seven to sixty three. You can actually now 
submit online testimony and I notice that you can put your address in and they have options for outside of New Hampshire. So maybe they won't take your uh, what you say is seriously, but you could still put your online submission in from, you know, another state. Okay. Well, I went in and testified in front of the criminal justice committee. Uh, I took the time off of work and went and did it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys do. I'm going to run with you guys. Thank you so much, Alu, for the call. And thank you for the reminder. That that's 9.30 tomorrow at the Legislative Office building. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to testify at hopefully both of them. I think I don't, I don't understand how they're allowed to have two at one time because it's like, I hope I'll be able to testify at both. Sounds kind of Just sign up for them. Yeah. Uh, at, the, at the committee hearing I was at yesterday, there was like, you know, seven different bills they were hearing in that particular committee but meeting. But they're different rooms. That's the problem. Oh. Well, so it, I, hadn't, I hadn't dealt with that yet. Yeah, well, hopefully they're not running at the same exact time. That might be, you know, the issue for you then. They just start at the same time, but I think one's going to have a lot more people in it than the other. So maybe I'll just get lucky. I, I don't know. If you don't even know what we're talking about at all, in New Hampshire, the way that things work is you have a bill and the bill has been created, but you have to, it has to go through a committee first and then the committee votes well they hear testimony and then they vote on whether or not to recommend it to the house then even if they don't recommend it to the house the house could vote on it vote yes on it anyway but they're more likely to listen to the opinion of the committee who heard all the testimony and tomorrow just that first part the committee um hearing testimony for multiple really important bills is happening tomorrow and alu called in about the one that would repeal some really bad Red flag laws um, that take away your gun rights if somebody accuses you of something and gets a restraining order against you. And also one that would let the people vote on a constitutional amendment that would let us vote on whether or not to secede when the United States debt hits $40 trillion. So there's actually another bill I'd like to bring up. Uh, this Tomorrow? is uh, Nope. This oh. bill is on January 18th at 10 a.m. The, the committee will be. Anyways, this is House Bill... Uh, one zero one twelve. So ten twelve. Exempting from criminal penalties certain parenting decisions intended to encourage a child's independence and freedom. Uh, it's having its hearing before the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee on Thursday, January eighteenth at ten a.m. Anyone wishes to testify may do so by appearing at the hearing, Legislative Office Building at thirty three North State Street in Concord. The hearing will be held in room two o two. 204 so they basically open up the room to you know two rooms into one and you can uh it, you know send te- uh, text to the bill can be read here there's a, a website uh i got but um this is basically the bill to amend the the uh, uh child uh in, in endangering the welfare of a child uh would uh to be charged with that criminally charged with that particular statute uh would require that the child have actually been injured and Hmm. it also applies some definitions to the like terms uh, or, or it strikes the words that aren't defined uh, in this bill. I believe I might be a little wrong. Endangered I think was, well, we, we used to jump uh, our bikes over this ditch when I was a kid and it was a, it's a big ditch and we'd build these ramps, elaborate ramps. And if the, uh, if the jump didn't kill you, the landing would, right. It was, um, you know, it was, it was dangerous and we did it all the time. It was like what I look forward to after school uh, during, and you know, when the light would, when it was still light out at night and 
I'm just wondering, is my mother a child abuser for having let me do such a thing? Because I never had to go to the hospital, but there were boys there who did. And, um, you know, I certainly got injured because, you know, that's how it was. Um, would this, how would that work with this law? Well, uh, from what I understand, uh, they wouldn't be able to charge you criminally. The thing is, is they're charging parents, uh, caretakers, uncles, grandparents all over the country with this particular legislation, not only in New Hampshire, it's happening in New Hampshire too, for things like, you know, um, well, in some places they, they've charged, uh, uh, the, uh, people, uh, parents for, you know, telling their kid, not, not forcing their kids to mask, um, New York State, I believe. In New York State, they've actually gone after a whole bunch of Amish over allowing kids to do farm chores. In Pennsylvania, they've gone after Amish for allowing kids to do farm chores. Uh, and you know what? It, what it does is it basically um, the, the, in, in, in this uh, endangering the welfare of a child bill. There's a, a term called um, oh, I forget the term off the top of my head, but anyways, the uh, <clears throat> It, it would just there would be no criminal action right now. There's basically criminal action for under this statute for something that could hypothetically happen. And what's what's happening with this bill is it's being used all over the country uh, as just another weaponized statute to go after political opponents. Uh, and quite like my wife, uh, you know, with, with our situation, which, you know, she has a jury trial for this, you know, on uh, January 30th uh, in, at Concord Superior Court. The 30th. Okay, I kept thinking it was the 21st. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight on Free Talk Live, it's me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark Edge. And Jay, you had something you wanted to tell the listeners about Anarchapulco? Yes, I want to encourage the uh, everybody to check out anarchapulco.com and possibly come down to the 2024 uh, an- an- uh, Anarch uh, they have branded it as Anarchapulco Reborn. Freedom is rive. Uh, freedom is rising. This event is from February 11th to February 16th. The main event. Uh, it's going to be at the uh, beautiful Secret Garden. Uh, that, according to the last video uh, I've watched, uh, it looks like it's recovering quite well. Uh, they've done a lot of work down there. Anyways, uh, this event is going to host a whole bunch of speakers, uh, like uh, Max Egan, for example, is going to be there. Marjorie Wildcraft. Um, the Bee Lady. I don't know if uh, people ever watch her, but she actually is, just did a documentary about the psyop of um, uh, oh, the guy's name is just slipping my mind for a minute there. Uh, 
the guy that Derek Chauvin choked to death. George uh, Floyd. Jo- yeah, uh, so he's doing a whole documentary about the George Floyd psyop, which I read a little bit about that the other day. That's pretty interesting. Um, Is she the bee lady because she's like a beekeeper? Yes. Cool. Yep. Uh, from what I understand. So anyways, and, and there's a whole bunch of others. I'm actually getting more and more excited about this. I just joined the uh, Hoover app and started looking at that last night. And there's a, a whole bunch of awesome people that aren't even speakers uh, that are just attendees coming from all over the world uh, You know, to this thing. It's, it looks like it's shaping up to be a really awesome event. So, uh, and, if, and if you want to buy, if you buy tickets and you use uh, coupon code J, that's J-A-Y, you will get a 10% discount at anarchopoco.com uh myself my wife and my kids will be there and uh i'm hoping to do i'm definitely doing some kid workshops i'm also hoping we can pull off a blacksmithing workshop where we're we're working on that uh but i'm going to be uh presenting on why uh people should be investing in our posterity hope to see you there and that's code j right coupon code j anarchopoco.com backslash tickets I hope that anybody from the show who wants to go is able to go. That would be really cool. I've never been to Anarchapulco, but all I've ever heard about it is it's really like fun and it looks really cool. And if you've never been around a bunch of libertarians or anarchists, you would probably really enjoy that. Mark's been. Yeah, I had a really great time the four or five times that I've gone. It was a great event. Uh, I haven't been since COVID, but I'm very interested. So, Mark, you brought in a story about our very own co-host and my husband, Ian Freeman, and his restitution hearing being canceled. Now, we don't have any extra information about this, and there are going to be a lot of questions left unanswered for the listeners, unfortunately, but this um, incompetent person did write an article about it and with a bunch of errors (laughs) in it, and um, you have the article for us, Mark. You point out the errors as I go because um, I feel like Damian Fisher's tried to be as fair on this as he uh, as he could be throughout the uh, I guess a couple of years that he's been covering it. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think everything's entirely accurate. Right. Then again, I've had a lot of stories written about me, and none of them have been entirely accurate. Hmm. After selling Bitcoin, uh, excuse me, I should uh, give the website, nhjournal.com. This is written by Damian Fisher. Freeman makes deal with feds on crypto scam restitution. Now, I think it's true, although Ian committed no scams, to my mind. um, It is true that the jury found him guilty of it. Well, no, they didn't. They found him guilty of money laundering, Yep. Running an unlicensed money transmitting business, but not scamming these people and not being a part of a scam. That would be different. It'd be like fraud or something. I think that the money laundering was given um, that he got that charge for being sort of what, you know, the jury perceived as him setting up a system that allowed the scammers that, you know, willingly participated with the scammers and allowed the scammers to do what they wanted, I think is what the, the impression they got now. Is it true? No. I was there every step of the way, and it simply wasn't true. After selling Bitcoin to dozens of elderly victims of online romance scams, Freekeen's Ian Freeman agreed to a restitution deal with federal prosecutors. And I would like to say that I was there when Ian would ask questions of these elderly victims, and they would tell him lies. You know? 
Like they would try very hard to get past whatever screening he had. One might even say they scammed him. (laughs) Right. Well, they certainly told him something was inaccurate and then, you know, lied some more on the uh, the stand. But whatever. Mm -hmm. A hearing set for Monday in the U.S. District Court in Concord was canceled at the last minute as Freeman's legal team and federal prosecutors came to terms. Mark Sisti, Freeman's lawyer, declined to comment on the deal. Now, I really wish I knew what this uh, was all about, because I don't uh, know the specifics of it. But I'm very curious, because, you know, Ian's been sentenced to eight years. He has uh, two years probation and was fined, was it $45,000, Bonnie? The fine, I don't remember. Maybe that sounds about right. It definitely wasn't 100000 It was less than 100000 for the yeah, fine. It was like 40 or 50, somewhere in that range. Cannot discuss at this time, Sisti said. Judge Joseph LaPlante was considering an order that Freeman pay back millions to the scam victims who bought Bitcoin from Freeman and his cryptocurrency exchanges as part of the romance scams. Evidence about Freeman's role in the scams was expected to be part of Monday's hearing. And I couldn't help but um, yesterday when I was walking through a supermarket and I saw that big kiosk full of uh, you know, the, the the little cards where you can put money, load the credit cards and that sort of thing, the gift cards. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but think about how those are used in scams all the time. You mm-hmm. know, people go and buy a bunch of cards and, you know, the cashier may or may not say, hey, are you getting scammed here? Because they care, you know, and Ian cared too. He'd ask questions. And... If the person tells a lie, the cashier isn't held responsible. Right. If the person comes back time after time after time buying these gift cards, the cashier's not going to be held responsible. But Ian was. I, and, I bought a, a like uh, twelve hundred dollars worth of Amazon cards. I don't know six or seven months ago from a yeah. um, a local grocery store. I'm sorry, a Dollar Tree, and the cashier goes, "Oh, I've never seen this before." And when it brought up on a cash register. It said it gave her a thing to read off to me, uh, and and and, it, and there was one of the questions was, "Are you going to give these cards to somebody, or are you using them for an Amazon purchase?" And I said, "Well, I'm buying some stuff on Amazon with them, okay." And I have to inform you that you sh- that do not give these cards to anybody or give these codes to anybody because uh, these car these cards can be used uh, by scammers. And basically, she said that um, she's never saw this before. But it pops up if you buy over a thousand dollars worth of Amazon cards, uh, according to the you know the manager at the store. So that's um, her doing it, not even mm-hmm. on her own volition. And then if you had been instructed by your actual scammer to, if the lady at the Dollar Tree cash register asks you if it's for yourself or for someone else, tell her it's for yourself. Then you would have been like, uh, yeah, it's for me. I'm going to buy something on Amazon. Right. And then she'd be like, okay, sell you them and not ever face any charges of what is it willful willful ignorance oh she should have known jay was getting scammed that's exactly the exact thing that happened in ian's case there's there's no difference at all yeah but um i think that ian uh you know ian was sort of aware that there are people out there getting scammed and he wanted very much for his customers to not be those people now i know that i know i mean i don't know ian uh, a very long time and i know when he told me that 
yeah, I, I think I've wheeled down my customer base to people who are, you know, just investors in Bitcoin, that that's what he believed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going on, Freeman is already serving a nine-year prison sentence. Inaccurate. He's serving an eight-year prison sentence <laughs> on convictions for operating an unlicensed money-transmitting business. Money laundering. It's conspiracy to commit money laundering, mind you. Uh, cons- Oh, no, it says money laundering. So he includes the money laundering one in here. He's inaccurate. Oh, yeah, that's true. The money laundering one got dropped. I forgot. Right. The judge, after the jury found Ian guilty of money laundering, the judge said that there wasn't enough evidence and removed that. Now, I feel like he should have removed several other charges uh, to boot, but he didn't see it the same way. Uh, Conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting business. And income tax evasion. That one specifically, there are four counts of income tax evasion out of the entire eight counts. One was dropped. I think that those four income tax evasion ones um, are ludicrous. I mean, like, you know, there's no evidence for it. But anyway, guess he didn't see it that way. He moved uh, more than $10 million through his exchanges, according to prosecutors. Now, this is an important point to make. You know, realtors get these awards for selling $10 million worth of uh, homes, Hmm. but they only get a 7% commission on it. Now, they didn't make $10 million when they sold $10 million worth of homes. They may have gotten an award for that or whatever the case may be, but they only got commissions. And matter of fact, they don't get 7%. They get a percent, they get a, a cut of that 7%. And that's true with anybody who sells a high net worth um, item. So, you know, gold and silver, you know, most the, the person has to buy the gold for X per ounce in order to sell it to you for X plus 1% per ounce. So that's how it worked with Ian too. So basically and, what you're saying is it's not like Ian made $40,000 he didn't have before with these scams. Right. He didn't make uh, $10 million, right? Um, is oh, the, you said sort of 10, my bad. Rebecca Vare and other victims told LaPlante last year that Freeman's exchanges were central to the scams that robbed them of their savings, trust, and dignity. Ian Freeman was the planner and instigator of the entire scheme, Vare told LaPlante in Because September. they're allowed to just lie and say things without any evidence in these little statements, the last final statements they get to give at um, the sentencing hearing. They, they right, can say he- whatever they want. Right. What Vare doesn't say here is is that it, had Ian never sold a single Bitcoin, she would have found somebody else who did. She mm-hmm. would have lied to them mm-hmm. and she would have lost her money because that's what she was bent upon doing. And she was dressed her like... Her savings, her trust, and her dignity, she gave away with lies. Just because she wanted to have sex with somebody who was in their 20s when who she had never met in real life, who she believed worked for a gas company and needed her money to replace a part on the drill and i'm i'm not calling her stupid or something but she never disclosed any of that to ian she believed that there was this 20 something year old who wanted to have sex with her was he in 20s in no. his 20s i, I oh, mean i saw oh, the picture him? of the guy he looked like he was in his 50s oh i don't i didn't see the picture i thought that he was okay. supposed to be in his 20s who's a 50 and works hard labor on an oil yeah field? yeah there's no 50 year old roughnecks um, but come on, Bonnie, don't you know how sexy a 20 year old roughneck is? <laughs> I mean, that, oh, that yeah, you know, a, don't you want to send him a bunch of Bitcoin? Yeah. That's why, um, our friend, I won't say who, I don't know if he doesn't want me to say his name on the air said the restitution should be 
Ian's got to sleep with these old ladies. <laughs> That's hilarious. The <laughs> so the um remi- for every uh, you know it's it's not very nice to make fun of little old ladies, but I will say this: if I fell for the scam that there were hot young teens in my <laughs> area that wanted me, you all would make fun of me. Everybody <laughs> would make fun of me. And, and the hot young teen worked at Sally's Beauty Supply, but all of the inventory was stolen, and she needed thousands of dollars from you to replace Sally Beauty Supplies or whatever it's hot young teen works at. You know, all right. Right. I, I know a ridiculous of, a, story. of a hot young girl. Uh, well, she Thank I haven't you. seen her much in a while, but she was in her twenties, and uh, she had these sugar daddies, and she would you know just send pictures of them on you know to like do selfies or videos or whatever of herself on Snapchat or whatever, and she and, and so she her. Her boyfriend like takes her car and like wrecks it, and she's Whoa. like, "Oh, my friend took my car and wrecked it." Like, kind of pretty trash. This girl's car, pretty good. And these, she got like a ton of money. I, I don't remember how much. This was like five or six years ago. And that's uh, crazy. She never had to meet with them in no, real life or anything. Didn't, no, that's didn't meet with. I mean, awesome. like one guy was like, you know, a bunch of them. There was a handful of them were were, were like from like Asia. Um, and they were literally just, you know, sending her like, in fact, um, PayPal shut her down because they sent her so much money. Whoa. <laughs> I now, had, just like, out of curiosity, and I'm, she probably wouldn't tell you this, but did she send, you said she sent pictures. Were the pictures sort of what they ordered? You know, oh, like, absolutely. She, she had like she, clothes taken off and, yep. you know, that kind of thing. She yep. had a premium subscription and these guys um, would pay like a monthly premium. So like an OnlyFans and or it, something. It would be like a boob shot and then a other shot. And then she would, you know, um, do videos of like her like doing things to herself uh, for like extra money. And and at, at one time she was literally scouting around for some guy to like, you know, basically make porn with her. Oh and she's God. like, I can't find any guys to make porn with me. Then nobody wants to do it. It pays really well. I'll give them 50 percent, you know, and um, <laughs> she's she ugly. No, she's not ugly at all. They just, just didn't want to like dudes didn't want like their grandmothers their soul, yeah. and their you know aunties right. and their moms you know possibly seeing this. Okay, and I can't say it's your soul. She or didn't anything, care. But... You know who you know who would see her stuff. She didn't care if her dad saw it or her uncle or whatever. You know. Yeah, men are supposed to be the uh, the wild ones, but oftentimes they won't participate either. And I'm sure that there's uh, people uh, screaming at their radios right now. But I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go on here. Um, Vare, an elderly widow, was ripped off by an online romance scammer known as Michael Glenn Wilson, the crook. And by the way, this person used that same name with another uh, of the two women that testified during the sentencing. The Wilson. What was his name? Michael Glenn Wilson. Hmm. The crook, who has so far never been charged because they never catch these people, used Freeman's Bitcoin exchanges to facilitate the crimes. And mind you, he used other Bitcoin exchanges and all kinds of other stuff, too. But this is the only but because this FBI agent had a vendetta against Ian Freeman, they brought Ian up on our charges. Mm -hmm. In Vare's case, she emptied her savings account, cashed in her insurance policy, took out loans, and even sold her dead, hus- dead husband's truck. But she came she said, to the hearing dressed like um, the Queen of England with a huge brooch with a bunch of jewels on it, and she complained, I won't even be able to get my tractor painted this year. And the other lady that came in on Zoom to testify was in a 
beautiful kitchen. So yeah. it's like these people aren't broke. Like it sucks that they lost well, what they would probably owe to their children in five months, but it also didn't really ruin their lives. It sucks um, that they were ripped off, but lying about Ian wasn't like they should have been assiduously honest about what occurred. Right. Like I get it. Ian was, you know, to their mind, part of all of this, but he isn't the one who did it. And they told him lies in order to get through his process. This fair woman specifically said he may have asked me one question, which you know, like I was there, not mm-hmm. necessarily when he was talking to her, mm-hmm. but I was there when he was talking to people and he asked him a series of questions. Now, I sincerely wish that Mark Sisti, Ian's uh, attorney, would have asked Ian about those questions because yeah. I know Ian had a file with those questions and that was never done. And I feel like that was a, a real problem with the case. I feel like there's several problems with the case, but, you know, Ian. Ian got his fair trial in so much as he had an attorney and, you know, this Typical is kind of what happens. incompetent lawyers. I mean, they, they all are. So going on here, uh, in Bear's case, she emptied her savings account. Yep. Um, she sent all that money right to Freeman, she told LaPlante. And that's true, at least some of it. Uh, again and again, Wilson didn't have her send the money to him, but instead instructed her to go to Freeman um, because Wilson was likely a guy in Africa or something and couldn't receive a wire. Probably an FBI, um, you know, confidential informant or, you know, recruiter or whatever. That's why they don't want to go with the lady Carlosino's lead on the scammer that was scamming her. She was like, by the way, during the trial, I have this guy's phone number and pictures of him or whatever i could totally help the fbi find out who the real scammer is but they are not interested i don't understand they're like okay okay that that, enough of that lady yeah Yeah, get her off the stand (laughs) we're getting reports now that the fbi had like you know uh, several or a couple hundred of uh basically um assets in the crowd uh you know dressed up as playing you know trumpers Essentially, in, in, in the January 6th stuff, you know, the Gretchen Whitmer thing, you know, what was it, 12 out of 17 of the, uh, you know, the the people that were going to, you know, kidnap the governor were, were FBI agents. I mean, this is just classic what these guys do. People need to just realize that anyone can represent themselves as anything in this world and actually be someone else like it's just like it would absolutely blow someone's minds to think no no there aren't fbi agents out there scamming little old ladies or pretending to be little old ladies or are little old ladies and also fbi agents who are entrapping people and then putting them in prison for eight years no that couldn't happen well let me tell you a story there was this um youtuber named nikki tutorials and i was saying she was trans for like five years i was just like she's obviously trans and people were like there's no way she's trans there are pictures of her as like a teenager bonnie and she's like she's wearing girl clothes bonnie then in 2020 i couldn't get enough of sending the video out to people where she came out as trans and she had been trans since first grade or something like that and hid it from the public and and her school and her parents participated in actively hiding it from the public like you never know what you think you know about people and i just think it's ridiculous like most people walk around just like no 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 if things aren't as they seem my brain will explode and it annoys me she's obviously trans she's like six foot eight 
it's nothing wrong with her. I was just, I, Six I could eight. tell. Wow. <laughs> She's from the Netherlands. I guess they're also just tall. There you Wait, go. No, sorry, six foot, so not eight. I, I misspoke, but she's really tall. Very tall woman. All right. So um, it says here that she sent all that uh, Bitcoin to, excuse me. It says that Bitcoin was then deposited into a digital wallet Wilson could access. This is the scammer. So Ver bought that Bitcoin from Ian and then directed Ian to deposit it into a, a, a wallet. Now, consider with Bitcoin, that could be Bear's wallet, that could be Wilson's wallet, that could be anybody's wallet. The only thing Ian could do was send it to the wallet that Bear gave him. And he did. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Whatever's on your mind, you can ring up with us. 603-283-6160. More coming up. number for you to call that 603-283-6160 and with you in the studio tonight you've got me bonnie and jay and mark and it looks like we already have a caller so cynthia from california you're on free talk live what's on your mind oh hi hello i i'm looking at uh this issue of of uh the constitutional issue that we have the right to select the electors who will then select the president but we're not being given that right because apparently the GOP and the Dems have tied it all up. I'm always wondering, I'm wondering why, what well, like, why are these electorate people just, how do they get these jobs? And if we don't vote them in, why are we <laughs> supposed to trust them? Actually, under the Constitution, that is out of range. Who selects our president are the electors, and we elect the electors who then choose the president. Right. Yeah. The people actually don't choose the president, <laughs> um, right, you know, on, right. on, on voting day. So so I have a little experience with this in Massachusetts oh, uh, during, uh, I don't know if it was 08 or 12. I forget which one. But basically what had happened, uh, Mitt Romney was governor and uh, I wasn't uh, a registered voter in Massachusetts. Uh, but I had a lot of uh, but I was very involved in the campaign for liberty, Ron Paul. And we actually did a whole thing where we had took uh, all the Liberty candidates and we put them on horses at any parade that we uh, parades we go to. We went to parades, you know, 2007. In fact, up here in, in 2012 on primary day, we rode horses up and down the street in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was a lot of fun carrying a Ron Paul Lovelution flag. But anyways, a good friend of mine, Dave Kopaz, uh, he does his podcast, Red Pill Politics. Um, he does it on Facebook now. But anyways, uh, he was one of the... Uh, uh, delegates uh, for uh, Massachusetts, a Republican Party delegate, and he was very involved with the Ron Paul campaign. And what they ended up doing is they... Oh, and I don't think Mitt Romney was governor, actually. What they ended up doing was they made all the delegates sign 
um, affidavits stating that they were going to support Mitt Romney. And if you didn't uh, do that, they had some kind of way just to remove you. So you weren't even a delegate. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's exactly what you're talking about, Cynthia. And, you know, it was 10 years ago or so. But there's there's definitely been a lot of, um, you know, corruption and politics playing. And, you know, and, and when it comes down to it, when, the, you know, you sue the Republican National Convention or the DNC, they're just private, you know, charities, nonprofits, and they're not bound by any constitution or, you know, any laws that govern government or anything. The, the whole system's a charade. But you have to sue the state because the state is keeping you from being able to put electors on the ballot so that uh, potential electors, people that you wish to vote for, um, and that way they are disenfranchising over 50% of the voters. And uh, you, you could have a terrific movement if, if we simply uh, locked arms with even some of the conservatives you don't like or may not like and some of the other people you may not like to say we have a right to have electors on the ballot, potential electors that we can vote for. Because so, we don't even know if we vote for the GOP candidate, we don't even know who the electors are that they've chosen. Is there anybody out there like you, that you could name off, say, a website that or a YouTube channel or something that is actually talking about this, how maybe has a solution, uh, yes, maybe has a process? Yes. Uh, uh, G.R. Mobley, whose site is reclaimingtherepublic.org, has a radio show. Um, uh, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m., and tomorrow he may be talking about it, um, or he may not. But he, uh, on the Fridays, he's going to have guest speakers on this issue, but maybe not beginning tomorrow. All right, because so that's I, uh, I, reclaimingtherepublic.org. And can you say that fellow's right. name again and maybe spell it? Uh, his, his, he uses the initials G-R, and his last name is Mobley, M-O-B-L-E-Y. G-R as in girl, Randy? Yes. Thank you so much. He he does grassroots uh, organizing uh, across the nation and works with the the Wyoming state legislature trying to return our country to a constitutional republic. And the key issue is getting getting our right to choose the electors. Uh, So uh, David Jose, who I brought up earlier uh, in the um, show is basically working on doing a similar thing. So when you say you're trying to return our country to a constitutional republic, I believe the republic is there. The problem is, is uh, if you look at the republic versus democracy, so any politician who you know uses the term our democracy is ignorant or just evil because America is not a democracy. The word democracy is not in a Declaration of Independence. It is not in any one of the 51 constitutions. Uh, in fact, a democracy is two foxes and a chicken uh, deciding what's for dinner. A republic is the same <laughs> thing, but that chicken is very well armed. So would it be correct to say that we democratically elect the electors? The, the only and part of, yeah, the only democratic thing that would happen basically is the election. But, uh, you know, we have a constitutional republic. Uh, the problem is, is when you have a democracy is, you know, democracy is the oh, idea. No. That, I, I'm, yep. I, I totally understand that part. But I was still wondering if it was correct to say that when we vote for the electors, we are having a democratic process where we each have one vote. I believe so. Yeah. 
Okay, I wanted, didn't want to misspeak. Um, I don't know okay. how the electors elect. Um, what are they called? Delegates. Uh, the, the 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 electoral college, right? The electors. I don't know how they were. Uh, picked at one point, but I know that at this point, the political parties choose them based on who, um, you know, who they've already, you know, people operatives within their political party, you know, the people who go to the Democratic National Convention, people who go to the Republican National Convention. Um, those are the ones that, uh, th- those are the sorts that from which they're picked and they're going to go and vote for however they're going to vote. Ballot, there needs to be a section for the listing of the people who wish to be the electors selected, right? Mm-hmm. You should have, and that should not be related to whether they're GOP or DEM or Libertarian or whatever. There should be a separate section on the ballot. You, you can have your popularity contest of who wants to vote for this person or that person for the presidency, but it shouldn't be a diddly squat because in reality, the electors are going to choose the president. Well, well hopefully they would pick whoever um, was voted, got, got the majority of the votes in that's their state, right? That's what I've always right? heard that Why? has always Why? happened. That's, no. what, that's what I've heard is, has always happened, but it's just the fact that it's a weird middleman like that shouldn't exist. It's like, okay, well, if they're going to vote for whoever got the majority, why don't we just not have the delegate there? My, my dad told me at least at one point when I was a kid, I was like, well, okay, then why, how do we know that they're going to vote for whoever actually won? And he's like, well, it's always been that way. Like, they always vote for who won, but they don't have to. Well, it, it wasn't always that way. But apparently, before, before about 1850, the parties started colluding uh, to end up being the uniparty. That, it started way back then. Right, both parties. Uh, Lincoln, for example, never got anywhere near a majority of the vote. Both parties es- essentially became co-opted by the international banking cartel, the Rothschild family, uh, most hand- most single-handedly Ishmael Mayer Rothschild, uh, because, you know, these guys just, you know, developed so much power over in Europe and, and you know, due to their banking scheme. And uh, they were able to essentially, you know, just dump tons of money over into the uh, colony, you know, the, the United States and start... Um, you know, buying power and influence, and it hasn't stopped. So I was just looking at this. The Rothschild family achieved prominence in the late 18th and early 19th, oh, centuries. So that means the late 1700s and um, 1800s after the banking dynasties founded Mayor Ashmael Rothschild. Okay. Right. We now have documentary evidence that Alexander Hamilton was a British spy. I believe it. (laughs) What is the evidence? Um, A group called, uh, let's see, Aim for Truth or Patriots for Truth. Um, They found in some Canadian archives a list of the spies and um, feel they have a a genuine document. And they have also located, I believe, a cipher in George Washington's papers. Wow. Which brings the question, was George Washington uh, really part of the British effort? You see, I have a girlfriend who studies the history. She said, you know, she thinks George Washington was interested in breaking the treaties with the Indians because he didn't like the ones that the British monarch had signed, had agreed to during the French and Indian Wars. And he figured out that you have to start a new country in order to break the treaties. One thing I know is that the um, founders were weird. 
and I I wouldn't ever choose them to control my life. Like Benjamin Franklin was a part of this hell hell fire club in England where there was a church, and then it was on a hill, and under the hill was a cave that went all the way like a football field under the church underground, and then there was a big opening after once you got to the end of the cave and he would have orgies in there and and allegedly sacrifice goats and stuff and um that's benjamin franklin one of our you know founders it's supposed to be really cool or whatever and good i don't i don't like any of those people and i would rather just opt out of this crap and then you know go back would to the, being a republic would the country have ever existed if it wasn't for these guys i mean um, you know, there, there haven't been a lot of successful revolutions and to my knowledge, very few enlightenment revolutions. I think about, uh, you know, the French revolution, which was a catastrophe. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there's just an awful uh, situation allowed Napoleon to, uh, to take control. I mean, uh, the, the United States would basically be Canada if it wasn't for these guys doing whatever they did. Right. I don't know. Like you're, you're I can't. Right. I can't just tell you what would happen if some people I've never met never lived. Well, um, whoever's running around here in the United States today doesn't have the guts to, uh, you know, hold a revolution. I can say that much. Well, the people back then did. Yep, they did. Th- this is why the FBI will uh, be, you know, counter revolutionaries, and they will start these revolutions mm-hmm. just to make sure that they can, you know, extinguish them right and, away. Yeah. But thank you it for the call, seems Cynthia. Like we do have another caller on the line. We have David in New Mexico. David, what's on your mind? Lots of stuff, Bonnie. Duh. That's crazy. <laughs> Why does he say that? I don't say duh. <laughs> no, he's just No, being silly. you don't say duh. I say duh. You say that's crazy. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't realize and, I said um, that. Yeah. We, well, we, that, well, it's psychology. We all... Re- or most of us don't realize most of the things that we say that other people notice. Yeah, like my old bosses always said that I would always say, that's annoying, this is annoying, I'm annoyed. <sighs> I kind of wish I didn't do that. But anyways. That's annoying. Yeah. They're like, oh, did we annoy you? When we're not here, do you talk about how annoying we are? I was like, no. Anyways, David, you what did talk- you actually have in your you mind? Talking to- well, a couple things, but first of all, you guys talking about Jewish bankers again? He didn't say Jewish, but he said Rothschild, and they are Jewish. Were, right? I don't know. I thought, I mean, I always hear that they are. I guess you had to define Jewish. Because it's very, define Jewish because, you know, Jew and Jewish, it seems to be a very broad definition that can mean many different things. Kazarians, the Kazarian mob. Okay, that's a little more specific. I don't know what the heck that is. Me either. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Enlighten us. Kazaria, Kazakhstan. Silk Kazakhstan? Road, yeah. Hmm. The Silk Road, the 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 uh, uh, Askenazi uh, branch of the Jewish people, the Kazarians. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway, and not you're saying the Rothschilds about. were that? Oh, okay. Anyways, Red, Roth, Rothschild is Red Shield. Wrote Red Shield. Red Red Shield. It sounds believable. Yeah, you also want you also want to uh, look look online, read about the Warburgs, W A R B U R G Warburg. Yeah, they were and, like and Rothschild. They may have they may have uh, come to prominence with a lot of power in the whatever you said the 1700s, 1800s, but they go back uh, earlier than that, <clears throat> and they may they may have had a, a different name 
they change they they change their names uh, these the power brokers when they moved from one part of Europe to another part back, back uh, hundreds of years ago when before we had modern ability to track who people were you could basically dissolve one identity and go somewhere else and become a whole new person uh, and and that's what people did in the in the in the centuries past but um and so speaking speaking of bankers before I go get to what I really want to talk about uh, it, this is easy. Those of you that like Bonnie and Mark and I don't know if Jay is uh, into it, but uh, who, what's everybody's favorite uh, uh, crypto wallets and uh, crypto exchanges nowadays? Um, Edge Wallet is <laughs> good for your phone, and Exodus is good well, for a laptop. Just because Mark invented it? Just because Mark invented it, is that why you're saying that, Bonnie? I wish Mark invented it. But the thing that's nice about Edge is like to just recommend somebody to get into Bitcoin. It's like, go download an Edge Wallet. Yep. It's just super user-friendly. Um, you know, it's password. You do have to like go in there and manually back up, you know, do your seed phrase, uh, to each wallet. Um, one thing that is cool about the edge wallet is when you break your phone, um, as long as you remember your actual password, uh, you, uh, edge will, you know, basically your wallet gets repopulate. Yeah. Repopulated into your new device. And, um, I don't know if it gets repo. I, I had a problem like a couple of years ago. I had an Edge wallet on a phone. I broke the phone, and I don't know if I had forgotten a password or didn't have the password correct or something. And I had to do some jargon around an email. But I was eventually, or maybe I had the password correct, but it's like a week delay before it come before the population comes back. I, I remembered it was like a week layover time, and just in case, like your phone got you know it was somebody scamming or something. I, I don't remember the details, mm-hmm. but. It's it's pretty user friendly, especially if you're like sort of like um, you know uh, not real responsible. I mean, I can't believe how many people create these uh, Bitcoin wallets. They never write down a seed phrase. They don't take it and put it in a very right. safe spot. Um, I I literally know a guy who did this with a thousand Bitcoin like twelve years ago, and um, you know he he'd be set for life right now. Um, and uh, and I've also known a whole bunch of people who did. I, I mean, I did it with a wallet, you know, because uh, I'm like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And like a week later, you know, the device that it was on got, you know, stepped on by a horse and I could never turn it on. It was a tablet. And, uh, you know, and, it, and it's got like one point three Bitcoin on it. <laughs> I never backed mm-hmm. it up. You know. Why did you ask? How, how about the? Pardon? Why do I ask? Yeah. Oh, just because I've been playing around with the uh, with the uh, uh, crypto crypto stuff on a what do you call it a, a simulator? You know, this one happens to be from oh, I forget what service it was, but I've been playing around with it. So, and I'm not doing too not doing too bad. So, the next step obviously is to is to uh, start playing with real money and see if you do as well as you did in the simulation. That's the next step. Um, you know, yeah. my thought is is that. I don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin. I think in the short to medium term that it's probably a pretty good investment. Um, you know, I like the idea of having a certain amount that one picks, right? Like one Bitcoin, 10 Bitcoins, you know, a hundred Bitcoins, whatever the number is that you think is the right number for you and just kind of holding that and keeping it. Um, but then also the expectation that Bitcoin, I think, I believe Bitcoin's to some extent been co-opted, right? Like, um, I think it's going to continue to go up because now people who want it to go up are going to make sure that it does the same people that were keeping it down, uh, for a period of time. But I tend to think that it's, 
it's not the best cryptocurrency for the people. I used to think Bitcoin was money for the people. I don't believe that anymore. Well, because it got messed with all the people that were part of banks and did it. it the people that went against Bitcoin Cash basically messed with it and made it all crappy to where when it gets too expensive, well, all of a sudden you can't even buy a cup of coffee with it because the fee is going to be $25. Yeah, I actually just did a Bitcoin transaction like a week ago and uh, it still hasn't gone through. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I paid a, um, a low so, fee. So it was it was uh, $150 and I put on a low fee that was like $6.10. Whoa. And so basically, to, and, and, and the guy I sent it to, he's like, yeah, just just let it ride. It, you know, if it you know doesn't go through, we'll cancel it. And there is, I've actually had to cancel several Bitcoin transactions and either put in a higher fee or just do the settlement in another coin. Um, and, and, and it seems like the, 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 the coin that everybody seems the, the top three, the top four coins. So people are like, Oh, if you can't do uh, Bitcoin, uh, we'll do Monero. Uh, everybody really likes Monero. Um, and, and that seems to work fine. And then the other two that I noticed that just work flawlessly is uh, Dash. Never have a problem with Dash Me too. and Bitcoin Cash. Those are the four work I'd recommend too. Really good. Well, Mark, did you have anything else on that? And thank you for the call, David. But did you have anything else on that article about Ian? Um, let me uh, check it here. Um, I guess we'll just jump to towards the end here because we don't have too much time. Yep. Prosecutors have argued Freeman either knew or at best actively worked to not know that he was facilitating crimes with his cryptocurrency transactions. And, let, and let's it's true talk about that. Actively the worked prosecutors, to not the prosecutors certainly argued that. Yeah, but let, let's just talk about what that means. The The prosecution is saying, if you don't break a law, but it seems like you probably went around it, they they say, then they're reading your mind and, and they'll tell a jury, hey, it looks like he purposely skirted around this. Uh, he didn't break law, but he was really careful about it. And the judge even made a dumb comment like that where he was like, the thing about it, Ian, is I don't think that you necessarily did something wrong in, in some instance, but you are really smart and you went around it on purpose. So you didn't break the law, but, well, you're smart enough to not break the law and you were able to continue doing business. So there, that even then, right. they, they got you, I guess. Right. That's a fascinating thing that they said because it was like, you shouldn't know that what they were trying to say is you shouldn't be looking at the law. You shouldn't know the law in your particular field of... Um, expertise. You shouldn't look at these laws. You should just do what you think is right. And of course, Ian was doing exactly that. He was doing what he was right, um, what he thought was right, which is allowing people to buy Bitcoin without having to go through the government uh, KYC. And that's what he thought. Now, it says here, this is important. Bitcoin was known throughout the Bitcoin community for charging higher fees than other market operators and for asking fewer questions, prosecutors have said. And it's true. Prosecutors did say that. But he wasn't getting more uh, higher fees than anybody else. It was the uh, the area, you know, pretty much everybody on uh, Bitcoin Locator. What was it called? Um, um, local what, what Bitcoins. Localbitcoins.com. Thank you. Um, Localbitcoins.com had the same fees as Ian had. So the idea that he was higher is inaccurate. Now, he was certainly higher than someplace like Kraken. But um, the point should be made is, is that if these little old ladies bought their coins on Kraken, they could have certainly gone through the process. And if they had, so what? 
Kraken would have sold it to them. Yep. Right? And, wouldn't and have made a difference. And they wouldn't have gone to prison. Yeah. So, you know, this is really, it was all about, it wasn't about little old ladies getting ripped off. It was never about little old ladies getting ripped off. They were convenient for the story. It this was, a was about witch hunt. Yeah. This was about Ian wanting to provide people with the ability to get Bitcoin, which was supposed to be pseudonymous in the first place. That's what Satoshi Nakamoto wanted. He was, Ian was, you know, forwarding the vision. And in my opinion, this is why the only one of the crypto six who had their charges completely dropped was the little old lady. Yeah, sure. They didn't want to make it look like um, the the FBI was going after little old ladies, too, even though um, little old ladies got up on the website and or excuse me, on the, uh, the the stand and admitted to the same things that Ian did worse, in fact, and but, a, a little old lady, probably older than most of the ones who got scammed. Seventy five. She went up there and said, I'm Ian's real life friend. I am personally interested in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I invest in them. And Ian has helped me for hours and hours for free. He just wants to get Bitcoin in people's hands. And if he wanted to scam me, he could have easily. And he never did. And yeah, I'm 75 and I like Bitcoin and like investing in it. So the jury should have no reason to believe that Ian should have believed that anyone who was old couldn't possibly actually have wanted to buy Bitcoin. And I think that was one of those things where um, Ian's defense just didn't ask the right question, didn't ask enough questions. Didn't emph- emphasize enough stuff to the jury. Right. Six, didn't allow um, Ian to humanize himself before the jury. It's been and Free Talk Live. Freedom. And you can find more at freetalklive.com. Thank you for listening and peace. you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark ward now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com